Welcome to Interviews. Being an entrepreneur is the toughest job ever. There are no practical guidelines. So I created this podcast to help crack the entrepreneurship code. Join me every week as I invite entrepreneurs to share their stories, the practical tips and lessons they've learned along the way. Don't be the main bottleneck in your business. Subscribe now. Interviews is brought to you by Social Prize, a marketing and communication agency operating remotely since 2005. Social Prize specializes in digital technologies and communication, web development, e-commerce, remote working, coaching, training, growth hacking. Log on their website, socialprize.me. Hi, thank you for listening. Today, we're going to Los Angeles, USA. I'm with Anissa Deshpande, founder and principal at LogLab LLC, which provides fractional chief people officer advisory services to middle market and emerging growth companies and coach HR leaders and CEOs to modernize the HR functions to grow revenue and create a place where people love to work. Anissa also recently published a modern HR novel called The Comeback, which is a fast-paced fictional adventure through the fundamentals of modern HR. Hi, Anissa. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, there's a lot. Just in introductions, I already have a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) But let's start with your journey. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you became who you are today. Okay. Well, I have uh, 25 years of experience in HR, IT, finance, and strategy. I actually started my career in IT, um, spent about 10 years uh, working with consulting companies and working in-house in IT, was working for a bank, and my boss got fired, and they thought it was too soon for me to be the permanent leader, so they made me the interim leader while they searched for his replacement. It took six months to find the replacement. Um, And when the replacement came, they said, oh, guess what? Um, I think we need you to go somewhere else in the organization. (laughs) (laughs) This person can't take control. So I said, okay. So I ended up working for the chief administrative officer. And this is right around 2007. The mortgage industry in the United States was turning. And uh, it was about to hit the subprime uh, mortgage crisis. And so my role was to look for overhead savings, structural overhead savings across the bank that were non-labor. So I did that for about, I'd say, six months or so. And uh, we had success. And then the chief administrative officer asked me to uh, go work in HR. And what she said is when the bank was doing really well, the growth trajectory was such that the HR processes hadn't kept up. And she said, you know, we we need someone to go in there, transform these processes and give them back to the actual leader of the function. So this is things like payroll benefits. And we had basic issues like we would run payroll and not everybody would get a paycheck. And it wasn't the same people that wouldn't get a paycheck. So uh, just some basic it was it was a lot of technology and process type work, um, but it was also a lot of people work. So I did that and then the bank failed and we went into conservatorship with um, a US agency called the FDIC. Um, And I I found myself the chief people officer of a failed bank. 
Um, and so that was quite interesting uh, working with uh, working under conservatorship. We did I did that for a while. It was clear that the bank was not going to um, be sold as as one at the time, or that was what it felt like. And so I ended up going to work for the chief financial officer of a Fortune 500 bank, or sorry, a Fortune 500 company called AECOM. And my role was to help was to follow him around and learn how a, a Fortune 500 executive assesses risk, makes decisions, kind of runs projects. So it was very much a developmental opportunity, but I also had the opportunity to do my own projects. And so one of the projects I was given was a, um, it was the strategic planning for the company. So I worked with him on that and we decided, we realized there was a gap between what the company was trying to achieve from a strategic perspective and um, our recruiting. And we were a professional mm -hmm. services firm. So not having your recruiting aligned with what you were trying to achieve was a huge gap. So he asked me to go lead global talent acquisition. And so I did that. And I was responsible for hiring 20,000 people in 150 countries. I had 200 recruiters on my team, traveled a lot, a lot of glamour traveled to places like Saudi Arabia um, and uh, Qatar. And um, was loving the work, also had the ability to do um, what I'll call internal talent initiatives. So aligning things like performance management, succession, all of these things that we think of more as compliance exercises to business exercises, right? Making sure that these were aligned to driving business goals. So again, I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was having a fantastic time, but I, I wanted to have a bigger impact, right? I saw the benefit of aligning HR to the business and I thought if I can help other companies do this, that would really be something that I found very fulfilling. So I decided to leave my job and start my own company, which is Load Lab. And so for the last six and a half years, uh, we've been helping companies do just that, align their uh, business goals to their people functions and, and really create a place where people love to work. Oh, it sounds to me like you have a lot of experience in HR. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of fell into it. I mean, I could have detailed more of the IT journey. I fell into it, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely do. Your company's slogan is HR sucks, but it doesn't have to. Yes. Can you explain? Yeah. So it's born out of the idea that we, um, that th I always get these phone calls from people. I'm sure this happens to everybody, but I always get these phone calls from like family and friends. And they're like, I think I have an HR problem. And they tell me the problem. And I'm like, okay, well, the first thing you have to do is go talk to your HR person. I'm like, oh, do I really have to talk to my HR person? I'll do anything, but I'll, but I don't want to talk to my HR person. Mm -hmm. And so I think HR has developed this reputation of being uh, the enforcer, the police, right? The compliance people. And it doesn't have to be that way, right? Of course, there's all of those things are important, but it, it's not the primary focus of HR. Modern HR is really about building compelling programs, making sure employees have what they need to be successful and making sure the company has what it needs from employees to be successful. So it's really just getting rid of that feeling of, oh my gosh, I have to go talk to HR versus I'm going to go have a productive discussion with HR. Right. So you're talking about having the HR department uh, being, uh, how should I say, serving the other staff like they are their customers. Is that what, yes, is that what we're talking absolutely. about? Absolutely. Absolutely. They are the customers. I see it very much as they're the customers and or the employees are the customers of HR. 
but HR has a has a really big role to uh, enable revenue at the company. You know, I think mm-hmm. this mindset of it's a cost center has to shift into no, it's a revenue enabler, right? If we don't have the right people, if we don't have them in the right roles, if we're not thinking about what they need to be successful in their growth and development, there's no way the company can grow long term. Right. So let's break it down a little bit. When, at what stage in the company development should you start thinking like having an HR department? You know, it it really depends on the company, the industry, and the leadership team, right? And Mm -hmm. how open they are. I I think that it should be fairly early on. Um, You don't need, you know, like a lot of what I do is fractional chief people officer services for smaller companies. So they don't need a full-time HR I mean, they, they definitely have somebody to do payroll benefits, all of that, but they need that strategic guidance as soon as they start to build out the leadership team, because especially if it's founder led, mm-hmm. um, I think founders are very passionate about what they do. They, they you know, sometimes uh, get frustrated that not everybody has the same passion that they do around their ideas. So like getting that objective voice to help them think through what are the people issues? How do we set this up? And helping them understand that a lot of times the people that, you know, they start with in the beginning of their journey are not the people they're going to be with, you know, a year or two in when they're, as they're growing, right? There's all different types of people that, that uh, join companies at different stages to make it a success. And it's very natural that the leadership team will change over a period of time. And that's why you also see at some point founders typically take a, a, a different role at the company, more of a visionary role. And they bring in a CEO to grow it to a certain mm. place. You said, well, in the introduction, I mentioned that, but you also said it yourself. Like you really want to uh, promote uh, places of work where people love to work. Yes. Why? Why are you saying? Why are you saying that? Is is it HR? Does HR suck that much as we as we mentioned? Really. HR should be um, helping the leadership team and the organization figure out what is special about the company, right? So Mm. um, I often tell HR leaders that their role is to really look at everything that is being said about the company, whether it's Glassdoor or other places, internal surveys, and figure out what the strengths are of the company. What What are the unique strengths that we need to amplify in our messaging to attract the right talent? but also to look for those structural challenges that we have to fix, right? There's, if you read anybody's, any site, any Glassdoor, I should say any company's Glassdoor site, you'll read these reviews and you'll quickly see what the problem is. And, you know, if you talk to leaders, sometimes they say, yeah, I know that's a problem. I don't know how to help. I don't know how to fix that. Or, uh, you know, or they're dismissive of it. And, you know, those little cracks just tend to grow and they continue, you know, they continue to hurt a company over the long term. So it's HR's job to identify those, to surface them, and to then to help the leadership team figure out how to fix it, the leadership team and the organization, how to fix it. So let's go back to your, to breaking down this, this HR department. Okay. I recruit my first HR. I'm happy, I'm like, yeah, and then what? <laughs> so what's next? What, what, is, what is it that I, he or she should be doing? It, you know, I think what he or she should be doing is understanding the business challenges in depth and figuring out what needs to get done, right? And I think this is one misnomer about HR that we don't have for other departments. So in the beginning, in the early stages of a company, 
you may hire a fractional CFO and have somebody that does the accounting. You may hire a, a fractional chief marketing officer and have somebody else that does the graphic work, right? The the and but in HR, for some reason, people think they can hire an HR person, have them do benefits, payroll, recruiting, like everything. And it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. right? And um, you need some, it's it's very similar to finance. You would not ask a chief financial officer to do the the bookkeeping for the company. You're not going to ask your chief HR officer to do the recruiting for the company. It's just, it's not going to work. So it comes from both sides, right? Leaders need to change their view of, you know, who they're hiring and what they want them to do. And HR needs to step up and say, listen, here are the things that I can do. And here are the things that I'm going to go get external advisors for or external partners for to get done. I think that works really effectively, but it's HR also realizing what their role is when they come into an organization and not trying to be the doer of everything. I, I can totally relate to what you were saying. If I uh, go back to my experience uh, running a company, like when I was running a company of 50 people, the, the, the accounting department, I had like my, my chief financial officer, I had the tax expert, I had the bookkeepers. And then the HR department, I had one person doing everything. Yes. And <laughs> it's, it's very exactly common. It's is. very common. Yeah. And then I get the call from, you know, the CEO who's like, gosh, my HR person isn't really a strategic partner to me. And I have to remind them, like, if this is all the, if you're asking him to do all of these things, how can they be a strategic partner to you? When did you learn that about HR? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I think just over the years of what, you know, I think what really helped me was my experience at AECOM working for the finance department and just looking at how they came to the table, how they address problems, how, you know, they never had, they, they always were able to make a very good case for resources and contrasting that with HR, where it was like, hey, um, you know, the HR leader would come to the table back then. I mean, I'm sure it's changed now. Back then, and maybe not have that same approach to how to get resources or to how to get things done. And so I've seen this happen now at several companies, but I think that was my first indication that, you know, something had to change. And, And what was super interesting about that company is, the CEO wanted HR to have a really good seat at the table. He wanted to, to invest in it, but the HR team sometimes didn't make it easy for them to do it, for the leadership team to do it. So they under-evaluate their, their work. Yes. And the, and the influence they can actually have on the leaders of the company. I tell HR leaders that I coach that they some, they have to think about their mindset, right? Like, At the leadership team meeting, and I I see this across many companies, when a CEO announces a big initiative, for example, right, and the HR leader automatically starts to freak out about all the work that they have to get done. Mm -hmm. The finance person often is making a plan for how to get things done. And so one of the mindset shifts that I work with HR leaders on is you have to have that same approach. Just because there's you know, this big thing coming, it doesn't mean that you have to do all the work or your existing team has to do all the work. You have to make a case for the things that you need for this to be successful. Another common one that I hear uh, from people is, gosh, our recruiters are overloaded. They have too many requisitions. They can't fill all these positions. You've got to, you've got to fix that, right? If you have overloaded mm-hmm. recruiters, you know, your business is going to have, is going to be impacted over time. You can't have these gaps in your workforce. 
So building the right case, talking about it the right way in a, in, and not going to the leader saying our recruiters are overloaded, but look, here's, here's what we can fill. Here are the jobs that are open. And this is going to be the impact of the business if we don't fill these jobs. Very interesting. A very, it's like modern HR, like you, like you said, a different way, different perspective of looking at HR. But what do you think? We have never looked at HR like that before. You know, uh, when I started my career over 25 years ago, you know, the, the big thing was IT, right? IT mm. needed a seat at the table because suddenly all this technology was coming into play. Every, every company needed an online presence, right? We needed our IT leader to be at the table, to be more strategic. You know, I think now people are realizing it's not having the right people in the knowledge economy is going to stop your business from being successful. So you're seeing this shift just out of the nature of we have uh, a war on talent, right? Where there's not enough people for uh, the types of jobs that we need. There's a lot of disruption, which means that work is changing fundamentally. People need to, you know, you may not be able to go out and get talent in, in you know, three or four years with the way technology is going. That can do some of the things you're looking to do. You're going to have to train and help people learn how to do it. So I think like just the, the, the business environment um, and the trends that we're seeing are really driving this change for HR. Mm. Okay. So let's go back to uh, the founder of the company because that's, that's who I serve. Uh, okay. as what are the type of questions that as a founder, I should ask myself when it comes to HR? For instance, I was always told, or oh, I advise my clients that if you think in terms of the following, now, do I have the right people? Are they doing the right things right? You know, questions like, am I are they happy and, and engaged? Uh, are these the right questions? And do you can you recommend other questions? Yeah, I think those are all excellent questions. I also think that you need to ask, where is the organization trying to go? Mm -hmm. And what do we need to get there? What skills do we need? What type of people do we need? You can't react to people needs, right? Like I see so many companies build these great strategic plans. Like here's what the market's saying. Here's what we need to do. And then they, and then they never look at, okay, but are people available to do that? Do they have the skill sets? Do we have the people to do that? And they also don't look at, okay, I have this existing group of people with skill set X, you know, can I train them? to have skill set Y, right? You know, they don't look for those adjacent skill sets that can come, that beca can become more meaningful. They're reacting to whatever's in front of them and, oh, we gotta go out and recruit, we gotta go out and recruit. Well, what happens when there's no talent to recruit, right? When the skill sets don't exist out in the market, how are you going to create those skill sets? And what happens when that starts to impact your business, right? I can't grow because I don't have enough people. And that's a common message that I hear um, from founders is we can't grow because we can't a attract the right talent you know because we're limited for whatever reason or um you know this talent doesn't exist because our product is so unique so i mean i think the people challenges that are coming up are so complex uh, that that's what's that's what's driving a lot of this change and what founders have to think about as they continue to um, grow their business and they can't react to it right they have to stay ahead of it yes it is true that I hear the same often. Uh, we can't find the right people. And I'm sure you've been coaching HR leaders and CEOs on, on that topic. What, what do you tell them? Well, it's, you know, first we have to understand why they're saying that, right? And there's a number mm. of reasons why. I think a lot of times companies don't realize that 
everybody, every company, regardless of what industry you're in, you are competing for talent against the tech giants, right? I mean, you Google is lets its workers spend 20% of their time coming up with new ideas, which means that they're just, you know, they're, they're, they can go into any industry at any time and they can totally disrupt that industry. So you're kidding yourself if you think that, you know, well, that's Google and this is us, right? We don't, we don't need to worry about that. It's a threat. And so you continually have to be thinking about, you know, what is it? Why do people come work here? What is it about the work that we're doing, the purpose, the mission? What is it about the problem we're solving? What is it about the leaders we have? You know, what is it that makes this place unique? It is no different. I tell clients this all the time. You know, thinking about how you attract talent is no different than how you think about how to attract and retain customers, right? Mm -hmm. It is the same mindset of, okay, I have to be very thoughtful about it. I have to figure out what attracts them and I have to figure out why they want to stay with me, right? Why do they want to keep being a consumer of our business? It's the same side with, with employees, right? You have to, you have to just take that skill set that you have around customers and apply it to uh, the recruiting market or the talent market. So a lot of it is understanding the why, like, you know, and I often use in, in the U S I often use the example of the real estate market where, um, you know, uh, somebody comes to you and says they want to buy a very cheap house in a very expensive location. It doesn't exist. And so a lot mm -hmm. of, a lot of founders don't understand that it's not about what they want to pay. It's about what's available for what they want to pay. And sometimes that doesn't exist. So a lot of different reasons why that could be the case. And we always have to dig into those and figure out exactly what's happening at that particular company. And then work on a, a specific yes. strategy for each case. Yes. And you're right. Give people a reason to come to wake up every morning and come and come to, to work for you. Yes. Um, I'm interested in your entrepreneurship st story a little bit, well, your journey. What does it mean for you today to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I describe entrepreneur, like it's really hard. And, and one of the first things I learned kind of the hard way is you read articles in, you know, um, about entrepreneurs and they're, they're glorified, right? They act like they never had any challenges and they've been successful their whole lives. And the first year I was, I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's an entrepreneur and just saying, well, how are all these people finding success and why am I struggling? What am I doing wrong? Mm. And he said, stop reading Fast Company. It is not like that for anybody. They just glamorize entrepreneurs and Once I did that, that helped me understand that everybody goes through the struggle, right? And this challenge. And um, what I, I would say, about, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I would say about it, like it is, it is definitely one of the hardest things I've done, but it's also one of the most rewarding. And I describe my worst day as an entrepreneur as better than my best day in a corporate environment. And it's because you know, it's about you. It's about your impact, what you do. If you decide not to do something, you know, you're the one that's held accountable, right? And so I just think it takes so much um, grit and perseverance. And then you always have to be looking at everything and questioning it, right? You're, mm -hmm. I'm continually experimenting with my model. I'm continually experimenting with what works and what doesn't. Um, my marketing firm gets annoyed with me because I'm continually updating my messaging Right. Um, but it is the reality. And, and, and they know it's reality. They're the ones that taught me that. But then mm. I like, you know, I have to keep working at it. So um, 
you know, I, but I love it. I mean, I, I love every day of it. It is hard. There's no question, but it's super rewarding when you're able to help a client. It's super rewarding when you find the success and, you know, the highs are really high, the lows are really low, but it's all worth it. What have you learned about yourself? I've learned a lot and I've learned to be very patient with myself. You know, my, mm. my dad was an entrepreneur and, you know, the, the, the first few years, which the first year was a little hard and then it got a little bit better. And then um, in uh, 2018, I had a challenging year and my dad would tell me all the time, you know, you just have to have patience. It, it does come, but it takes a lot of patience And I'm not a patient person, so that uh, I, I definitely learned that about myself. But I think the other thing I learned is that I, my biggest benefit to my clients is my creativity. And I think in the corporate world, that wasn't what people valued, right? They valued my ability to get things done. They valued, you know, that I would do what they said, but they never appreciated the ideas and the thoughts and the perspective that I brought. And I think uh, being an entrepreneur, what I've learned, and I've always been creative, But what I've learned is that that creativity has a place in the business world. It makes me happy and my clients actually value it, which has mm. been amazing. So you feel you can express yourself. Yes. Because that, that, is, that is my biggest learning as an entrepreneur is I am me. Like I've always worked for others before I became an entrepreneur. And since that I'm an entrepreneur, I am more and more of me. I express myself. And, you know, these are my opinions. And I really don't, sometimes I don't really care that people don't agree <laughs> with me because, hey, you know what? I need to be my, I need to be me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 100% true. And I feel like every year since I left corporate, I shed another layer of skin, right? That had grown on top of me. And I've been, I've gotten back to my true self, my best mm -hmm. self. Um, and I've learned what what works for me and, 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 and maybe another thing I would say is I found my voice to, to kind of I, like, I don't know that in the corporate world, I would have had a tagline like HR sucks, but it doesn't have to. But now I feel like that's really me and that's how I feel and how others feel. So why not just say it? Indeed. So maybe it's a good transition to your book. Yeah. The comeback. Is it a way for you to express yourself? <laughs> It definitely is like playing that theme, playing on that theme of creativity. Um, I was, I wanted to write a book. I did not want to write a book that was called the six principles of modern HR. So <laughs> I, I didn't think a lot of people would enjoy reading it. So I put together this story and what it was is, and um, I think I probably started it five years into my entrepreneurial journey. And I had collected all these anecdotes and data points. And I would tell people like, you know, I would give people examples of, you know, like the Google story that I was sharing with you earlier. And they'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But they didn't really consume it the way I wanted them to, right? They didn't take it to heart and, and really mm -hmm. internalize it and start acting on it. And so the book gave me the ability to take all these anecdotes and, and data points and put them into a story. So you can watch a company go through this transition of implementing modern HR and see what happens at the end. And so, um, I, uh, it was, I, you know, I, I love creative writing. It was super fun to put together. Um, and for me, it just represents everything about who I am. And, and there's uh, obviously there's a coach in the book who is guiding the HR professional through um, her modern HR transformation. And that coach is, is loosely based on me. So that was kind of fun to write too. 
Um, but yeah, it's in, it, it, like, there's so much of my friends and my life and my, my family in this book that I, I really enjoyed putting these characters together and pulling different traits that I liked from people into it. So I hope you guys will read it. It's a fun book and it doesn't take long. And what do you want people to get out of it? I want people to shift their mindset about HR. I want them to understand the power of HR and how to think about it differently. And that when you have uh, modern HR, what a difference it makes in your company. Very nice. So let's combine all your experience together, the book, everything, your creativity into one recommendation that you will give to other entrepreneurs out there. What would that be? I think it's what you said, right? Be yourself, right? Find out who you are and, and bring it to uh, your journey. And it, it, it's not a mo. It, it doesn't happen overnight, right? Sometimes you have to, to dive in and keep trying things and keep experimenting to figure out who you are. Um, but I, I do think it's important. And I think people sometimes forget that they have lost who they are working for somebody else. Um, and finding that again is really hard. Not everybody, but a lot of us have. My show is called Interviews Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code. Have you cracked the code? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's clear. <laughs> I think you never crack the code, right? You, you're always experimenting. You never have it figured out. Um, and you think like, you think that you, you, have you may figure it out for a little bit and then something happens and you have to shift and so for me it's like you're always experimenting and that's part of the fun you definitely have to have the uh the desire to do that you have to like that you have to like the you have to be comfortable with ambiguity um but yeah i don't i don't know that like it, it's funny when people say oh well you're season, a seasoned entrepreneur i don't feel seasoned i mean i feel like like everyone else i'm just trying to figure it out every day what would you say you're a seasoned entrepreneur what, what, what would I say? No, why, why would they say you are, you're a season? It's because of the years of experience, right? Like a lot of people, I think there's a big drop off after year uh, two or three. And I think everyone, I had a, a friend tell me who's an entrepreneur and she's been an entrepreneur for years, tell me everyone faces a big challenge in like year three or four. And mm -hmm. your ability to overcome that is what keeps you going on the journey. Um, and so, and, and then, I was like, okay, but then it's just year three or four. She goes, no, then it's year seven, then it's year 11, <laughs> it's year 15. I was like, okay. So like, I think the message is you're, 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 you're continually trying to figure it out. And, you know, like your years of experience and your perseverance, yes, you, you've survived and you've done, you know, in some cases you've done well, but just around the corner, you don't know what's happening. And I think mm -hmm. the biggest reminder of that was 2020 and the pandemic, right? Like, my vision for 2020 was like, oh yeah, everything's going to be great. And it started off phenomenal and it, it ended okay, but it didn't grow the way I wanted it to grow. And there was nothing I could have done about that, right? That was just the pandemic, which mm -hmm. Black Swan event, nobody was planning for, so. Indeed. Last question, how can people contact you? Best place to get a hold of me is on, uh, through my website, uh, theloglab.net. Um, and you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Thank you very much, Anissa, for your time today. Thank you, Lauren. It was great being here. And thank you all for listening. If you have any questions about entrepreneurship, reach out to me by email or via social media. Now make sure I answer them in return. Bye for now.